My name is Dr. Austin Tay and you are listening to Psych Chat. Welcome to episode 2 of Psych Chat. In today's podcast, the topic I have chosen to discuss is workplace bullying. This topic is close to my heart, as my PhD research focused on how to help bullied individuals deal with residual psychological impacts using acceptance and commitment therapy. Workplace bullying is an important subject. I will not be doing the subject justice by cramming everything into one podcast. This is why I will be talking about this topic in the next three other episodes. In today's podcast, I will touch on the reasons why I want to talk about workplace bullying and what is workplace bullying. In episode 3, I will focus on the antecedents and causes of workplace bullying. In episode 4, I will talk about what an organization can do to prevent workplace bullying. And lastly, in episode 5, I will talk about what can an individual do when bullied in the workplace. So why do I want to talk about workplace bullying? First, is to create awareness about workplace bullying. Since the Me Too movement, people who have been harassed have been brave to publicly talk about their ordeal. This has resulted in litigation and now a sense of awareness about harassment. However, I feel that bullying in the workplace remains a topic that is still taboo to talk about in the office. To me, bullying in the workplace is also a form of harassment but organizations just do not want to talk about it. I remember during a time when I was researching for my PhD, I wrote and approached many organizations to ask them to participate in my research. I got no answer. Then I got to talk to some legal firms in Hong Kong and some of the conversations were shocking. I remember talking to one HR director in a law firm and she told me, we have partners who behave badly but we cannot do anything about it. Yet this law firm was struggling to look for top graduates to join them. I did indicate that perhaps a reputation with partners who behave badly could be a reason for not being able to attract new talent. She abruptly said that her law firm would not be able to assist in my research. An HR director told me that the law firm he worked for did not have a workplace bullying problem. Another HR director told me that she did not think it was the right time to talk about this topic in the law firm. One partner of a law firm had a meeting with me and wanted me to coach a difficult partner. When I pressed him what he meant by difficult, he told me that the head office recognized that this partner was a bully, but would rather offer him coaching than get rid of him, as he was what the law firm considered as a cash cow. I politely declined the opportunity to work with this difficult partner. Yes, you might be thinking, why did I walk away from this coaching assignment? Two reasons, really. One, the law firm recognized that the partner was a bully, but instead of doing something to, to end his behavior and to think about those who had suffered because of his behavior, the law firm decided on an easy route that was to change the mindset of the partner. Two, 
The law firm did not think about those who were bullied or others who might continue to suffer working with this partner. To me, I feel that this particular law firm had trivialized the impact of workplace bullying and was more concerned about revenue than creating a safe environment for its employees. After these conversations, I came away with a few conclusions. There remains an inherent fear of standing up against workplace bullying. Workplace bullying is an area that HR infrequently encounters and is unfamiliar with. This is why when I was asked by an audience in a presentation I gave to an LGBT law network whether HR was the right person to deal with workplace bullying, I said a resounding no. I have nothing against HR, I just do not think that from my encounter with HR personnel so far, they are equipped to deal with workplace bullying. In addition, research has shown that individuals who are bullied tend to be wary towards HR. Bullied individuals will tend to view HR as siding with the organization and to believe that they will be treated unfairly. This is the reason why I always recommend that HR personnel act as the liaison between the parties involved in a complaint about workplace bullying, but that they are not involved in the actual investigation. Investigations need to be conducted by independent teams of people, not in any way connected to the parties involved in the bullying. Overall, there is a lack of understanding of what workplace bullying is and what behaviours constitute workplace bullying. A recent ITV drama, Sticks and Stones, laid out bullying behaviours experienced by the main character, Thomas. Thomas, during a presentation to an important client, was not able to connect his presentation to the Wi-Fi network. He panicked and then blacked out. The team he worked with began to start their bullying campaign against him. It started with harmless actions like putting post-it notes to remind him about inanimate things on his table, such as a stapler, to psychological taunts, deliberately keeping important information from him and sabotaging him. Of course, when Thomas told his boss, he was quickly told off that he was just too stressed and that he should seek medical help for his mental health issue. Eventually, Thomas was able to prove to his boss that he had been bullied and the perpetrators were dealt with. Watching the drama is not easy as it reminds me of some of the bullying behaviours I have experienced in the early stage of my working career as a psychologist. I was lucky to be able to walk away from those experiences. But what I have gone through makes me want to use my research and this podcast as a platform to create awareness on workplace bullying. The second reason why I want to talk about workplace bullying is because of its impact on individuals. They are the psychological, physical, and professional impacts. Let us look at the psychological impact. 
Now, research has found that individuals who are bullied at work have anxieties and depressions. Some can even experience post-traumatic stress. Research has also found that those who have been bullied and have witnessed workplace bullying reported more sleep difficulties than those who have not been bullied and have not witnessed any workplace bullying. Bullying victims that do not have control of their working environment, position and work have been found to be in a heightened state of anxiety. To me, one message is clear. A working environment without bullying tends to increase the mental well-being and health of employees. Next, physical impact. Workplace bullying can also have a physical impact on individuals. Being bullied in the workplace can be stressful and this can lead to bullied individuals to experience physical symptoms such as pain in the neck, shoulders and back, all this causing strained and tense muscles. Research has also found that bullying in the workplace increased sick absence. When bullied individuals are physically unwell, sickness absence will increase. These are not good news for organizations as their operations will be affected and that they will have to put in more resources and money to replace those who are absent from work. Third, professional impact. Apart from the psychological and physical impacts, Bullied individuals can also suffer professional impacts, such as their social standing in the organization. Individuals exposed to high levels of bullying behaviors have been found to experience low self-esteem. This can diminish their social standing in the workplace. When individuals feel that their social status has been compromised, to avoid further embarrassment, they are likely to do various things. They will either find ways to salvage their lost reputation by feeling positive about themselves, creating a facade that they are in control of the situation, or talking to other people to garner support. If all of these fail, they may choose to leave the organization as a last resort so as not to suffer further impact on their professional image and status, or because they feel helpless and no longer in control of their situation. Next, I will turn my focus to talk about how workplace bullying can impact organizations. The impact of workplace bullying on organization can be multifold. Two consequences of workplace bullying on organizations are reduced productivity and increased sake absenteeism. Researchers have used data from health risk appraisals to help them estimate the bullying-related costs an employer has to bear. They estimate that an employer with 10,000 employees could face approximately 3.8 million in productivity loss each year. Researchers have also found that those who are bullied are 1.5 times more likely to report sick than those who have not been bullied. Organizations should take the impact of workplace bullying on their business seriously. They should be looking at ways to prevent workplace bullying 
and ensure that the employees have a safe environment to work in. Now, I would like to focus on what exactly is workplace bullying. To understand what workplace bullying is, let me share with you three definitions about workplace bullying. The three definitions I have chosen are from 1. The International Labour Organization, ILO 2. The Workplace Bullying Institute, founded by both doctors Gary and Ruth Namey and 3 a research definition by Stella Anderson and his colleagues. First, workplace bullying definition. The International Labour Organization, ILO, defines workplace bullying as repeated, offensive behaviour through vindictive, cruel, malicious or humiliating attempts to undermine an individual or group of employees. According to the ILO, bullying behaviours include making life difficult for those who are able to do the bully's job, punishing others for being too competent, refusing to delegate to others, shouting at staff, persistently picking on people in front of others or in private, insisting that a way of doing things is always right, keeping individuals in their place by blocking their promotion, overloading others with work and reducing deadlines, and feeling envious of another's professional and social ability, so setting out to make them appear incompetent. Integral to this definition is the idea that bullying behaviours need to be repeated and offensive and are done by one individual to another individual or group. Here, the perpetrator has a power of authority to inflict victims with humiliation, to sabotage them in their work, or burden them with a heavy workload. The IRO, however, does not indicate how repeated behaviour is measured, and whether threatened or actual physical harm is considered as bullying. 2. Definition from Workplace Bullying Institute The Workplace Bullying Institute defines bullying as repeated, health-harming mistreatment of one or more persons by one or more perpetrators. For the WBI, bullying behaviours include sabotaging targets by preventing work from getting done, verbal abuse, threatening conduct, humiliation or intimidation. In this definition, the perpetrator can be one or more than one person who will repeatedly cause harm to a target or targets through sabotage, verbal abuse, humiliation or threats. As with the IRO's definition, there is no indication as to how repeated behaviour is measured. Third, a research definition by Einerson and his colleagues. Einerson and his colleagues proposed a definition of bullying, which is now widely accepted. The definition is 
harassing, offending, socially excluding someone or negatively affecting someone's work. For the label of bullying to be applied to a particular activity, interaction or process, it has to occur repeatedly and regularly and over a period of time. Here, bullying is an escalating process in which a person who is in an inferior position becomes the target of negative acts. It is not bullying if a conflict occurs between two persons in an isolated event or if both involved in the conflicts are of equal strength. In this definition, there are three distinct types of behaviours. Harassing, offending, and socially excluding. To these researchers, bullying in the workplace can only be considered pernicious if it is done repeatedly, regularly, over a period of time, and in an escalating manner. If the behaviour is only done once, it is not considered as bullying within the scope of this definition. I've shared with you three definitions, and all these definitions show some similarities and some differences. For example, the definitions suggest that bullying behaviors need to be 1. Repeated 2. Done to an individual or more persons by either one or more persons and 3. Consist of verbal, psychological and physical abuse. Einerson and his colleagues further clarify what they mean by repeatedly and stipulate a time frame for the bullying behavior, that is, weekly in terms of regularity and over a period of six months. The other two definitions do not clarify this point. One similarity between these definitions is that the concept of bullying seems to only take into account the objective instead of the subjective experience of the persons involved. This could be due to the ambiguity and limited information for an appraisal when bullying is viewed through the subjective lens. In all the definitions, there's also no indication of what kind of threshold negative behaviours must reach before they are classified as bullying. In all the three definitions, there is no explicit mention of intent needed for bullying behaviour to take place. This could be because researchers have not been able to agree on this point. Some researchers believe that intent of perpetrators' behaviour might be too difficult to establish because of cognitive biases where targets are likely to attribute perpetrators' behaviour solely on their internal personality and explicit intentions to harm instead of external circumstances such as organisational restructure. However, if one should presume that intent is indeed a criterion, how does one go about doing this? With the test of intent, that is, mens rea, the mental element of a crime, an act, actus reus, the act used in criminal law be applicable here. Arguably, one could say that bullying behaviours 
cannot be considered as criminal acts. But upon close examination on some of the bullying behaviours, such as threats of violence, physical abuse or actual abuse, as taken from the Negative X questionnaire designed by Einerson and his colleagues, these behaviours could be considered as a form of assault in criminal law. Although the application of criminal law might seem to provide a viable option for victims to seek redress through the judicial process, it does present a fundamental problem. To deem someone guilty of bullying, a victim needs to prove that the perpetrator has the intent, that is, mens rea, and that the perpetrator has done the bullying act, actus reus. In other words, the perpetrator would have to admit to having the intention to commit the bullying act. But this is difficult to ascertain, as some researchers have encountered. The inability to determine the intent of a perpetrator does not mean that the bullying act towards another does not cause harm. What intent might be a good yardstick for the legal punishment for bullying the focus in bullying research has been upon the harm bullying brings to a victim. It is therefore necessary to recognize this fact in the design of legislation and policies to prevent and counteract bullying behaviors in the workplace. One observation here is that there is no universal definition of workplace bullying. And this means that enforcing workplace bullying can be problematic. One other problem due to the lack of an universal definition of workplace bullying is that it can lead to the different labeling of this type of behavior. For example, workplace bullying in France and Belgium is called moral harassment or harcèlement moral, harcèlement psychologique in Quebec, mobbing in Scandinavia and Germany. All of these create one potential issue. That is, how workplace bullying is viewed will differ greatly from country to country. This makes it difficult to draft generally applicable workplace bullying legislation. Nonetheless, a few countries have already enacted laws to prevent workplace bullying. For example, Australia, Gibraltar, Japan, and Korea. There remains a lot more work to be done to safeguard individuals from being victims of workplace bullying. I have been asked many times by individuals and organizations how to deal with workplace bullying when they are confused because there is no universal definition of workplace bullying. I will always tell them not to be circumscribed by definitions instead to be observant and take the initiative to address behaviours that are not appropriate in the workplace. Whether it is a one-time outburst or prolonged bullying behaviours done by an individual or individuals to another individual or others, an organisation has a duty of care to its employees to ensure that it provides them a safe environment to work in. To me, bullying in the workplace is when a perpetrator behaves or perpetrators 
behave badly repeatedly towards a target or targets who are not able to defend themselves. That is, there needs to be a power imbalance between the perpetrator and the target. Regardless of how workplace bullying is labelled, all bullying behaviours should not be condoned. Today, I have shared with you some components of workplace bullying. I hope the information shared is helpful. If you feel that you are a victim of workplace bullying, do not suffer in silence. You need to speak to someone about it. Stay tuned for the next episode in which I will talk about the antecedents and causes of workplace bullying. Thank you for listening to this podcast, Side Chat. If you have any comments or suggestions, please send them via email to sitechat at omnisite.com or tweet to at site underscore chat. This podcast is brought to you by Omnisite Consulting. You have been listening to Site Chat. This podcast is brought to you by Omnisite Consulting. We are a team of psychologists with a wealth of experience in working with individuals, teams and organisations in the areas of coaching, executive selection, assessment and development, career transitioning and workplace intervention. Omnisite Consulting exists to solve the critical issues facing our clients, both large and small. Our approach is to tailor-make each service to meet the requirements of our clients. Our broad range of services and solutions help individuals and organizations to facilitate change, achieve their vision, and optimize performance and productivity. For more information of our services, send us an email to inquiries at omnisci.com.